0: You're listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Sean Vance. I help connect businesses with tech talent. And today I'm your host. I'm joined today with Adithya. Christian, Alejandro and Vigdash to discuss the topic of creating high-performing data teams. So before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some quick introductions. Aditya, do you want to kick us off? Sure.
1: Uh, Hi, um, I'm Aditya and I currently work as the head of advanced analytics and automations at Linus. Linus uh, provides digital tools for coaches to take their business online both if it's uh, weight loss, weight gain, but also mental health and well-being. And um, I've been with the company for two years and enjoying it. Uh, Thank you so much for inviting me. No
0: problem. Okay, next up, Christian.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, my
2: name is Christian. I'm the CTO and co-founder at Value. Uh, We are a digital innovation platform. We apply AI to help forward-thinking organizations outpace the competition. Basically, uh, we help them find use cases through NLP and, and other cool stuff. And um, I head out the engineering department. So that would be the data science team research and some data privacy and information security, I'm an engineer. background but a little more business related Uh, work with infrastructure and business as a as a mix of that and in my past time I go skiing and I drink whiskey yeah Yeah,
0: okay Alejandro
3: yeah thank you Christian and uh, Adita and Vinesh so uh, my name is Alejandro I'm an associate data partner at Novo Nordisk where my role is mainly towards research and development I'm working with research to understand their problems in terms of data foundation and then of course try to work out some solutions for those for those problems that they currently have Uh, And uh, my background is, I have a PhD in bioinformatics and biostatistics, so I've been having these problems myself in the past, which I feel uh, very relatable to. uh, And on my spare time, I like swimming and and running, not so much for whiskey myself.
0: (laughs) Okay, and finally, Vignesh.
4: Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, My name is Vignesh. I'm a lead data architect and software lead um, at Hyper Green Tech, which is a startup uh, specialized in trading energy storage systems in the energy market and making sure that we can prolong the lifetime of bad uh, energy storage systems, especially batteries. Um, and I have a history in data science, worked my way through different IoT companies. And in my spare time, I'm, I'm an endurance cyclist. I go on some races now and then. And I do love a good glass of whiskey as well. Fantastic.
0: <laughs> okay, so now that we've established a context, each of you. Let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have questions or statements based on creating high performing data teams. So as usual, I'll work around the room with each of these questions and allow you to elaborate and each of you will then have the opportunity to give your take on these situations. But first of all, let's quickly get an idea of how each of you may define a high-performing data team. Okay, so let's start with Aditya. Um, Sure.
1: To me, a high-performance data team is basically two things. Um, The first is a team that can consistently deliver high-value projects, but aligned with the organization's priorities. Keeping those in mind is like very important. Um, and the second really comes down to operating with minimum viable bureaucracy in some ways. Um, and what I mean by that is it ties into creating a team that is empowered to make decisions in their area. This is an area that most people don't know much about, so it helps to empower them to make the best decision for a particular challenge. And this is only possible when the management believes in them. So getting executive management on board is something very important, but when all of that is available together, we can empower this team that's what creates a high-performing data team okay
0: great who would like to add
3: yeah, maybe i can just uh, say that i agree with you that it's actually some uh, uh, it's a group of individuals that consistently performs uh, or actually outperforms uh, what the expectations uh, were for that delivery uh, that they, uh, they had to achieve uh, but i would like to emphasize exactly what you said uh, aditya with the with the the culture of the team as well so it's not only as you say it's not only about um Getting this outperformance in place, and 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 of course aligning with the objectives of the company, but it's also making sure that this team has uh, the skills to collaborate and innovate together, the skills to uh, to have open uh, communication with each other as well as with management, uh, so that they can create this data culture in a, in order to be able to get uh, to to deliver what they have to deliver towards um, to the to the end users. Yeah,
0: great and vignesh
4: yeah i totally agree with uh, the point uh, other team made about uh, delivering high value business decisions but i would like to add on saying that to me a data team consists of like two different parts one is the uh, the, uh, the uh, communicative part where these business decisions are delivered and and behind that a very solid and a rock solid fundamental part of data engineering and data quality that is maintained um in as that is maintained as the time progresses and data changes so that that there is a very good interlock between those communication and the engineering behind
0: it and finally Christian
2: yeah I I don't think we have much disagreement in this um, but but I think I could I could add that I just went away for three weeks of vacation and I got no messages and no uh, fires were burning when I came back and I think that's a very uh, efficient and high performing data team obviously while delivering but in seriousness the the autonomy and the the ability to solve problems continue and work redirect and iterate and you know you don't have the full picture of the task when you start but you're able to carry it through and implement uh, that's in addition to all the great points you others uh, made
0: okay great so Aditya we'll come to you first Um, you've asked to discuss how do you keep these teams high performing when they're challenged by the growing workload of maintenance tasks can you elaborate further for us
1: oh most definitely um, this is actually a challenge we're facing right now and we've been very open about it uh, when I joined Linus. Two years ago, we were about 60 people. Today, we're over 400 people. But the data science team shouldn't have to grow at that exact same scale. Um, It doesn't have to become eight times or seven times as many people. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. And that's what I was trying to look for with this question. Um, How have others approached it or kind of, uh, what do you guys think about it? Should we scale? along with the organization or is there a way that we can outscale it
0: okay so christian what's your take on this
2: i think i think a very important part in this and obviously it's not it won't be a surprise but the whole looking into automation and standardization around these challenges right so it's while the team in itself won't grow the the capacity will because we build tools and solutions and infrastructure that add on itself to then continuously take off this standardized work. It doesn't make sense to provide the same visualization every time through your your prompt, you you can build an interface and so forth. Uh, So that I would say would be a a big part of it. Uh, And similar to the autonomy I mentioned earlier, I think diffusion of power and kind of having responsibility and initiative glide down into the individual members of of the data team makes the entire team more high performing. Of course, it requires experience and confidence comes with time, it's not an easy task, but this will contribute to a team that then have specialists that take over, implement and, and run these these tasks individually. And then it doesn't have to grow by a, a headcount, but by a capacity it will naturally, I think.
0: Okay. And Big Nash,
4: what do you think about this? Uh, yeah, it's a very good question. I'm I'm trying to like in my head, I'm trying to like think about um what domain do, do they fall under under when you're talking about the data team, right? And where does the scaling lie? For example, like let's say, uh, is it in the engineering side or the communication side? Those are two different choices.
1: I can actually add to that. Um, one of our biggest challenges has been on the communication side of things. If we were to pick our BI specialists, um, yes, we had one person supporting 60 people, but now we have two people supporting 400 people. And that only happens through automation and standardization in some ways, but also just getting smarter in how we do things. But I was just looking for that kind of a take on the communication aspect of it.
4: Yeah, I think then uh, um, Kirsten actually touched a very good point about um, automating the uh, visual side of the reporting and so on. That's that's always a good good starting point. But then there's always the other questions about how do you make sure that it's effective across the organization, across the domain, right? That's a completely different problem. And I don't think it's there's an easy answer to that. Uh, okay,
0: Alejandro. Anything to add? Yeah,
4: no. I think I
3: completely agree with the streamlining and the standardization or automation of the processes as much as possible, of course. And you're, while you're learning with the organization, that will definitely take away some of the workload uh, by the growing organization. But there is another aspect to this that is maybe not so related to the communication piece, but is to the delivery of new uh, the, new packages, new products, for instance, or, or or new pieces of work. And that's I think uh, one of the main uh, the main uh, points where I've uh, been helped in the past with was with prioritization and uh, Christian, you did mention prioritization at the level of the individual, empowering our different uh, team members to do their own prioritization. But there is also a need for prioritization at the higher level, so that you know the, the team members are not overworked because they have to do two types of prioritization, both their individual tasks, but also which projects to prioritize in the organization. So that's you know two important topics as well. Given empowering them, letting them self-organize, but of course, helping them by prioritizing what they should focus on when there is too many projects in the pipeline or in the backlog.
1: Yeah. Um, Actually, Alejandro, uh, I completely agree with you with the prioritization being a big issue, especially when you want to deliver new things. But just as I was thinking about it, delivering new things is one part of the job. Mm -hmm. Maintaining what we already have, especially when the underlying data is changing or our product is growing. And just as all these changes are happening is another part of the task, which takes up just as much time or as you start growing sometimes more time so getting smarter and how we handle that looking at adoption of different data products and eventually even deprecating things that aren't being used go a long way to kind of reducing how much you're actually maintaining and there's also quite a bit of getting smarter along the way where the technologies you use help you spend less time on maintenance although we still haven't gotten out of basically helping to maintain stuff as well yeah. so i'm actually kind of curious how you guys have tackled maintenance of older deliveries that are still very actively being used um, okay.
4: like one of one of the uh, early things i've Built in one of my previous uh, jobs was was a unified view of sort, uh, which allowed data experts uh, a way into the backside of operations. You know, it was not the front end of operations; it was just a more holistic view. That helped to uh, share more insight and enable to create more value because they had this view that nobody else had. As such, so they can put together a more holistic view um, rather than just focus on a particular separate specialization of sort. Um, and that was very well appreci- appreciated by the management because they, they now could ask questions to a, ver- a smaller set of people who had a more holistic view across the entire entire business. Okay, has anyone got
0: anything else to add? I
2: think, um, I think it's a challenge with the whole existing infrastructure, how to maintain and improve uh, WE experience. I think everybody does. All the new cool stuff upcoming is all the jazz. Everybody wants to talk about it, especially outside of the data teams. I struggle with sometimes getting the priority across That we need to update a database or migration or some of these things. Like we have outdated infrastructure, it's hard to maintain, it causes a lot of problems, or it might not have caused the problems yet, Uh, but everybody's like, yeah, but you know, it works. And then we slowly build ourselves into a grave that will be very uncomfortable. So that's the communication and and advocating, um, hopefully, making the point visible before we have a breakdown that I think is a, a challenge. So it comes back full circle here, that communication is actually a more than often thought valuable part of the data team. Yeah,
3: um, okay,
4: I do have a question on what is communication in the sense, right? Is it one of questions you're talking about, or are they more recurring uh, sort of uh, reporting? I think there I would, is a strong distinction, right?
2: Yeah. I refer to general, you know, education and awareness. What are we working on? What's important? What does it do? Why are we doing it? And. Um, because it's the same, it goes the other way. Why is marketing spending so much time on X? It doesn't make sense. It's just a post on Facebook or whatever. Uh, it, it can be it is easy to flip the other way. And then why are you not implementing a fancy algorithm? Well, the data needs to be there. Otherwise algorithms are not worth it and so forth. Right? And,
1: yeah. and kind of it ties back to the, one of the things we defined at the beginning about high-performing teams. You need executive management buy-in. But that buy-in isn't a one-time thing. It's something that you get constantly. So you can't really dwell on maintenance tasks when you're not creating new value for the team. So there's that fine balance that we have to play with. Um, but I'm guessing it's true in the product realm as well. So it's just very much uh, the same challenge, just different terminology here. in some
0: Okay, anything else to add before we move on? No? Okay, great. So Christian, we'll come to you next. So you've asked, would all data teams become high-performing from adopting a traditional agile method in their daily work? or would it disrupt what makes data teams valuable? Do you wanna explain a little bit more to us?
1: Yeah, sure.
2: And keep in mind, I, I don't think I'm the most experienced around the table here. So feel free to, to object uh, when it comes to, especially working in the data team. Uh, but I see data science sometimes as a mixture between traditional computer science and then more research oriented uh, mathematics. And of course, a lot of other things and hacking and knowledge of the space and pure luck, whatever else it is. Um, And therefore there are some cycles that you go through, Uh, it can come into uncertainty where no significance as a result or as a product is also a successful outcome, but that's not really agile in the traditional terms of here's two weeks, build a new feature, get it out there, done. Um, So I'm I'm struck between, is it because it's a bigger process that includes the whole exploration and kind of... um, Testing MVP, making sure this feature is needed, or is it just different that, than development uh, or uh, agile development uh, as a flow? That's that's where I'm coming at. So I would I would really much like to know because I'm I'm balancing how much we should um, push this agenda internally.
4: Okay, I could, I, I could take a bit on this uh, because I have this interesting experience as a data scientist uh, trying to deliver value. Right, um, there there are two different tasks for data scientists as as uh, as I would think one is a more rigid role of delivering a particular very self-contained box. For example, forecasting, um, that's a very rigid box. You you know what you need to forecast and what you're looking for. That can be an agile thing because you can deliver a proof of concept, iterate on it, and have it deployed and so on. But then if you're trying to build new data products, that's an entire different ballgame because you need to analyze what's what's within your stack, what's, what sort of data you have access to, and so on. So it, it becomes a, a juggling of sorts in terms of projects and who gets to do what and what sort of timeline do you allot for the explorative time. Right? That's, that's what immediately comes to mind for, for data scientists. Well. Alejandro, do
0: you have something to
3: add?
4: Yeah, no, and I, I completely agree
3: with you, Vinay. I was going to mention those two different uh, parts, but maybe to add a little bit more on the second, more pure research kind of uh, part of the data science piece. I mean, when it comes to, to that, the process is usually including a high degree of uncertainty, which is maybe one of the reasons why you're mentioning, Christian, that it might not be uh, the best place to to set this agile way of working. Um, it's hard, you know, when you're working with data science project, it's hard to plan out exactly what will work and what will not work and what will be required to actually finish this piece uh, of work that you're trying to, to do and to deliver. So you need to con- constantly change and run new experiments and new research. But the whole point of, Running new experiments every uh, short amount of times and and reinventing a little bit what you're trying to work on is also an iterative iterative process, which fits quite well in the agile methodology. So we might not be able to put the whole framework, as it is, uh, strictly into the research part of the uh, of the organization, but I think we can adapt some of the uh, um, the, the methods and the uh, yeah and the rules that we use in the agile methodology for the research piece.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Great. Adithya,
1: uh, just adding to this kind of. Um, i think one of the things with our company is that we've started delivering data projects that aren't let's say dashboards or bi projects just over the last year so we haven't really had many extremely explorative projects though we have embarked on let's say one that didn't pan out just last month and one of the things we've tried to follow is basically take a page out of our product team uh, where they run in sprints they do they do follow the agile methodology but every sprint they break it down to say we're going to spend 80 percent of our time or 70 percent of our time on building new product 30 percent on research for the next big feature. Um, So it's kind of baked into the productivity in some ways. And the research in one sprint ends up potentially leading to features in the secondary sprint or the uh, the next print or subsequent print, but otherwise could also end up saying that this is probably not an area that we should focus upon. Uh, what we've tried to do within the data team is, since it's a small team and our capacity is limited, we tend to try to break down, break those research questions into such small chunks that the moment we figure out we don't have enough data, we're able to then communicate this isn't possible because we're missing these types of signals. When we can collect these types of signals, we'll come back to this. Um, but we try to break it down to as small ch- uh, a unit, a module, so that we don't take more than two to three weeks to effectively Mm. prototype and do an MVP on it. MVP doesn't work. Figure out why, what can we potentially do? When should we revisit it? and then move on mm-hmm.
3: and that comes down to the dependencies and risk I mean you have just talked about it if we have a dependency then that's why we're not able to work on it right now then you're also able to communicate it quite fast so that either a research project or on a product development you can go back to the to your colleagues and say we need to get this uh, this experiment in place for instance if we were talking about research or this data science model in place before we can see whether we have that dependency or not or whether we can see whether we, if we can move on or not for the next uh, sprint
2: yeah, yeah and- So now this is getting me thinking and it might just be my ignorance, but are we then um, equipping a full data science team with enough tools outside of the traditional engineering perspective? Because we're looking at no almost similar to UX, research, designers, customer communication, that whole workflow that exists in agile, but we almost expect that to magically happen with our data scientists that are used to, or maybe just data engineers that sit and put in a model into production and say, I hope it works. So there might be a whole—is um, this you know? Are we are we too hard or expecting too much of our data science teams from the back of uh, you know agile teams has a lot more in traditional development. Yeah,
1: um, actually, I w- we were thinking about that internally a while ago. Where we build a product, and that product has a marketing team, key account managers, a support team. So many different business functions that help users use that product and gain value from it but with data science we have a data scientist who's basically all of this yes we have a data scientist and maybe an analytics partner to help with some of these things but essentially these two people are the are doing the work of a full startup in, in some ways uh, so we yeah. could be asking a lot from them but that's also kind of the challenge of our space at this very moment, because uh, these are data products, large data products that just are kind of reduced to one person has to do it. Mm. Yes,
3: maybe just to add very briefly on that you're mentioning, it's coming back to the whole point of what is a high-performing data team, and we've talked about it at the beginning with your question, Aditya, um, and and to me, a high-performing data team needs to involve all the skills that are relevant to deliver either that piece of research or that piece of development for the product or the data product right so definitely you need to have a, a whole set of different roles and uh, and responsibilities to be able to, to be able to move this forward okay, Great, right?
0: great any final thoughts on that okay moving on then so let's go to alejandro next so you've asked what challenges are faced when working with centralized versus decentralized data areas in an organization do you want to give a bit more context to this for us
3: yes of course um so here i mean uh, there are different types of ways of working um from a data team kind of perspective so we have the organizations in big organizations we have different business areas right and then they have we have the possibility of having different data teams within the business areas or a central organization that takes care of the whole uh, data data work could be data science, could actually be data engineering, or it could just be giving capabilities for de- for enabling data. And that's where I me- I want to understand or, or hear your opinion about what do you think are the advantages and disadvantages of having a centralized versus a decentralized data team uh, in the organization? Okay,
0: great. Vignesh, let's hear from you
4: first. Yeah. Um, I My personal opinion is that I'm more towards the decentralized approach. A data scientist, it ties back to the previous question as well, to some degree, that the data scientist needs to be close to the business value because they have to sit close to where the decisions made or understand why certain decisions have to happen the way it needs to happen and what kind of data that they can bring forward within the uh, generated either within the organization or get access to from outside the organization to deliver that decision or deliver support for that decision, right? right. Um, so. It kind of works better with a decentralized model when you have multiple different domains within an organization requiring uh, a data science help. Um, but if you have a product which kind of uh, needs it in a different area, then a centralized model could work. But again, you will be asking quite a lot from them in terms of swi- the mental switch time, right? You, you need to switch across multiple layers and that's that's, that's slow or takes takes some toll on the person. yeah,
2: I think that's a great point. Um, i I think to add on that, and what I often see even with you know very talented individual data science or any team members, right, is when we don't have the literacy or the understanding from whoever you're working with, then we start facing those problems of adoption or the proper uh, collaboration. So we can have a very even a strong, you know strong individual teams, but then you position a, a person to help with a certain task, a data scientist or whatever it is. And then you hit roadblocks because the the rest of the team won't be able to adopt it or implement or understand or is comfortable with the solution. Uh, statistics is not natural for a lot of people. Uh, it's something you need to get used to. And, you know, in many cases, that's part of the case here. We can't say anything for certain, but it helps, you know all that stuff um and that's where at least we see it fail even if we go decentralized um that's my
3: yeah, take. that's a really interesting point actually that you both make because I agree with both concepts but you did mention being actually one one thing at the end where you said maybe there's a tool that can be or a capability that can be utilized in other areas and maybe that's where the centralized part can play a role and I think that's a really interesting point of what I, what I can uh, mention as a uh having a spoke model so you would have Of course, the different domain areas with their domain expertise that would understand better what's the value that they are providing to the business. But then I could imagine a central um, team that that covers the services and capabilities that can be used across uh, the different domains, kind of helping uh, build that main foundation that then can be uh, or can enable and accelerate the the work of the different areas uh, in their specific domains. And then to your uh, point on the communication and the change management part, it's actually really a really important topic. The change management, we I always consider that as part of the t- of, a, of a high performing t- data team. If we want to ensure that there is an understanding from the business or from our customers, clients, of why we're doing this and that they then adopt what we're doing, we need to have change management help from the beginning and communication from the beginning.
1: I completely agree. And I mean, all of you have touched on different aspects There's a centralized and decentralized. I'm somehow unable to stay in either camp and and I can give you an example. Um, How often have you heard you've delivered a particular, let's say BI project to a particular team and within a few weeks they love it, they're using it. They come back. Hey, can you add this to other data points? And at that particular point, your BI specialist is working on another project now. The question is, do I pull them out and then make this change? Or do I wait till the sprint ends? And this is just the first delivery and every other delivery adds up. And at this point, your data, your BI specialist is your bottleneck. And then it becomes a bit of a difficult situation where you're not updating something that's really loved and being used. And something that we've tried to do now, this is an attempt to kind of branch out is to say our BI specialist will build maybe up to the data set or even the first iteration of the dashboard. But what we've created is what we call our center of passion for BI. There are a lot of people out there who want to learn BI, even though it's not it's not all the statistics along with it and it's pretty easy to at least get started with and that's where we've used the uh, people in the different teams with the deep understanding of the business to take part in creating these projects with us so not only are we just getting the data preparing it and then building dashboards as well we prepare the data and then work with them to build the dashboard so you have people who maybe use tableau in school who are willing to pick it up again You help them with some standard templates and ways in which they can use stuff, how to create calculated fields, give them that base introduction, and then they get start working on this. Yes, the first time it takes a little bit of time, but then eventually the data expert or rather someone who can do the storytelling is sitting right next to your most important stakeholder And they're constantly talking and improving so you might have helped them with one dashboard but three more have spawned because they've really been able to work together without any time from your bi specialist and
3: and i think that touches upon the the central versus the central part right because of course you have the central expert from the data perspective and then you you need to involve your uh, subject matter experts at every step of the project because they need to feel like they own what you're developing for them or you they own whatever a researcher doing for them they need to first of all, you need to deliver something that is exactly what they want, or at least as close as it can get to what they want. If, if, and if you don't involve them, you won't get there, but also you need to get them uh, to own this uh, product, let's call it, to, this data product, so that whenever you are ready to deliver this MVP, they will uh, adopt it and use it because they have, they have wanted this for the whole period of development, um, yeah.
1: So would you call it something like having your BI team, which is like your center of excellence in the middle, and then you have people who are passionate in BI across the organization, who are helping their leaders build stuff. I know we're saying it's, it's difficult to find people with statistical knowledge, but also a lot of data science experience. But this way you're also helping people upskill and helping their personal development while also helping kind of slightly decentralized, um, your data science delivery. Exactly that.
3: A center of excellence in the middle that has its own ambassadors within each domain area so that they can both upskill themselves, but then definitely promote and, and teach others in the organization and help us uh, with the change management. And since they are domain experts, they will be better at it than they than we can be.
4: Uh, it's It sounds like a self-service kind of a mode of oper- of uh, delivering uh, business intelligence, right? One question is, how has there been like back pressure on the data engineers to deliver more data set. because now that they can like have the ability to deliver do the analysis themselves right i would imagine there's more pressure on the data engineers to find more data sets if or have add more data sets into uh, into the pool sort right but
2: i think uh, i think that would then at least it would be it will moving away from doing you know a different graph on the same data set every time or that kind of flow where it's uh, repeating similar tasks to you add a new data set and then there's so much more to play with and you kind of increase the pool of opportunity so it's at least not a linear amount of work it's kind of in in that way you you change it to be here is much more to play with do whatever you want and then we can at least see it as a a smaller total amount of work if you move it to that perspective
1: in in effect Uh, stakeholders across the organization become your data science team that's always pestering the data engineers for more data just the data engineers have one more or a few more stakeholders okay great
0: anything else to add okay moving on then to last but by no means least we have vignesh so you've asked what sort of checks and processes are useful when considering the issue of data variability could you give us some more details on this
4: yeah i I think it's it's ties very nicely with the previous two uh, conversations, both agile and uh, about hub and spoke model, that when you have uh, businesses as time progresses the data generated by the business change and the external signals you receive as a business changes um how would you set up processes or what sort of um, are, are organizational um, things you would add to make sure that that variability is captured or communicated effectively is it on a software level is it on a process level or is it on an is it on a communication level within the company
0: okay uh, Alejandro would you like to,
4: start us off yeah so i have i think
3: actually it's the three of them so there will be a, uh, a the way i see this of course i've seen i've seen cases where if you have already established um a process that our colleagues whether whatever they produce in upstream the data they, they 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 are very accustomed to it's actually mostly about communicating and doing change management with them so that we are able to get them to change the way of structuring the data or, uh, uh, you know, passing data downstream. That's that's the first uh, point I see. And I I think that's possibly the most, uh, the more common one I've seen, where we have to change the way they work then we have the, the process and out and, and the automation piece here. So if you're doing a new change in, a, in the way you produce data, and then, or you're producing new type of data or in a different format or structure, uh, you can, before you even start producing that data, already define an automated process that will collect that data and somehow structure it to what it looks like already in the database or in the data warehouse, or you could just uh, create a process in between the data production and the, uh, and the place where you have the, the data stored, to structure it to the same format as the one you're currently using of course if you need to use a new format then there is a whole process change where you have to change the whole data structure that currently exists but that's a, another
2: beast yeah i totally agree especially the you know being able to set up systems that are able to handle the changes that come, you know necessary element uh, but also Trying to get this point across plays back to the agile, obviously, uh, that you can't, you know, as soon as you start working with something with the data set becomes static, everything moves still. So you need to as quickly as possible go from, you know, what, what's the start to the end to build that iterative process where you won't end up in a cycle where you build something for one year, push it out there and the entire world has changed. So it's getting that inherent process of saying okay what's the smallest amount that we can build and push live to see the impact to see the or at least test get that into system and then we also have a lot less you know we burn our hands a lot less when we don't have to go back and redo three months but it's two weeks so forth. It but it's a very counterproductive process especially when we do the experimentation and all that but then the shorter the iterations the better then we simulate that it's an organic just
1: like the data itself uh, something I've kind of observed is that uh, although we work very closely with product they're generally different teams in which case when product is building new features they have a thought for what could be the new data points they create but more often than not it's how do we create this in a way that's most efficient for the product to run and that's to be very fair that's kind of the right way to think about it from a product perspective because you're going to have a million people using it you want it to be extremely efficient and that's not always going to help the data team but then that's kind of the challenge we have to look at and here It would not even be a software or process, but it's more just communication sometimes with product owners that kind of helps or goes a very long way because when they make feature changes, when they create new features and new data points, having that conversation before it's created really helps to set certain boundaries on, hey, it'd be great if you can add this extra ID here because then it just simplifies our work a lot more. And that ID Mm -hmm. is potentially not super useful there or it has to be unique or structured a little differently. But as long as it doesn't affect product performance, it goes a long way to help us out. And it also these conversations help product owners to think of every new project, the thinking of how does this tie into my data product? How does this tie into the data team? Maybe I should have a conversation with them. So as we get them involved, they start getting us involved. And a lot of it has just been that conversation and the process that follows is very much data science, agile, Development kind of processes after that. At least my opinion. Yeah, and I
3: and I think I completely agree with you. And I think this ties back again to the co- communication piece, right? you need to be able to find the right stakeholders. You have to talk to either before or during the development of features. So you can actually so you can actually put this in place and say, okay, his requirement or her requirement. Can fit perfectly in this feature. It will not add add any any uh, extra workload to my team, but it will deliver value to them downstream, which we had not thought about because we had not had this conversation with them previously. So it's definitely very important to have this uh, this uh, communicative and and open relationship with all the stakeholders and also the the downstream stakeholders speci- specifically.
0: Okay. Would anyone else have any final thoughts they'd like to add today?
1: Um, I just had a thought. Um, you, we did mention data is messy. Have you guys had any challenges with data quality though, especially when it's something like streaming information? Because that is a different type of mess that is not always human generated. Um, I think from our perspective, we work
2: especially we work a lot with text data, and it's a pain in a very specific place to uh, to ensure that this data is up to standards because it's again NLP, we search by it, and it's the entities that are actually the result that they describe what it's supposed to find. So that's the everything goods comes from it, and when it's lacking, then it's everything bad. Um, And that whole process is both spending a lot of time, but also sometimes hard for uh, stakeholders internally and customers to understand that, no, we haven't built a bad system. Uh, I mean, of course, if the experience is bad, it's a bad system. I I take that on me, but it's more of a, um, the solution is not a better system, it's data. And it comes down to data way more often than most people realize, especially outside of the the circles. Mm-hmm, exactly,
3: and data quality is a piece that you always have to add when you have when you're building a data product. I mean, it's the typical uh, function function of rubbish equals rubbish, right? You can you cannot derive good insights and conclusions from from data that is messy unless you have prepared this data in a structured way so you can uh, really work with it. So, uh, but and and then you're talking about uh, text text data and, and especially free text data can be. Mm. The the messiest it can get so there is a lot of uh, we've been working now with, with several tools or at least in my experience that can automate part of this instruction and qualifying of data by uh, what i call um customer rules or customer questions so they tell us we need this to be there if it's not there it's it's a it's a mm-hmm. problem and then we have of course the manual curation piece because we are working with free text there is uh, no way around it but to actually do some some manual curation that of course from where uh, we can learn and then try to find patterns and and automate as much as possible
4: yeah um, it's one of those questions that keeps me awake at night data quality <laughs> uh it's it's a scary beast uh, and yeah i kind of agree that it's 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 there are a lot of tools like Alejandro said that helps you uh, at least get visibility into what data quality issues you might suffer from. But it is such, it changes continuously. And you mentioned, especially in streaming systems, I guess uh, most like uh from a trading perspective we work with a lot of uh, batch data like every day some some data comes in that's at least easier to swallow but on a streaming perspective we kind of go towards hot, extreme rigidity that you you enforce schemas and make sure that you govern how exactly a producer emits data and so on right so, mm-hmm. so that you don't allow for somebody to type uh, a wrong address or a wrong country name or spell afghanistan wrong for example uh, that that would be a nightmare for a data scientist on the down on the other side or anybody at the other side yeah.
1: you have to also think about confusing commas and dots as oh, decimal this
4: no. <laughs> classic excel problem uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, great. Uh, Sue, do we have any other final thoughts then on today's topic?
4: I think
2: uh, we just agreed that if everybody becomes data scientists, then we'll have a much better world. (laughs) Yes,
1: completely agree with that. One way to get out of problems is to scale just horizontally more people. And that for sure is our easiest solution, but it's not going to happen. So we're really looking for all the other solutions that are possible. And today it was really nice discussions across different topics that are all I think near and dear to us or rather keeps us awake at night. So whichever you (laughs) wanna look at it.
0: Okay, great. So we'll leave it there. Um, I just want to take this opportunity to thank you all so much, Aditya, Christian, Alejandro and Fignash, for providing some great insights into this topic. Uh, if you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at shan.vance at evolution-nordics.com. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast and I'll see you next time. Thank you.